Hi everyone, thank you for listening. As ever, you are keeping it real with Khadija. Today I have a very impressive guest who has a very impressive CV. The one and only Stephen Kelly. Hi, how are you? Hi Khadija, uh, it's really great to join your channel. And uh, yeah, very good and I've been very lucky in, in terms of, I guess, my career. Um, so I, the things I've just pinched myself over, you know, I met prime ministers, celebrities, worked in New York, San Francisco, Palo Alto, um, obviously London, and I run global companies, uh, achieved more than I ever could have imagined. So, uh, you know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, but all, all that sort of glamour on the face of it sounds really lovely but you know reality is there's been lots of sacrifices on the way so it's really good to kind of join yourself and uh, talk through keeping it real yes i love it and and thank you so much for being give one giving up your time two for being quite clearly very down to earth and willing to talk about your journey um your cv is very very impressive so for people that don't know you you've mentioned a little bit there can you just name some of the companies and some of the people that you've worked with and um and also, you know, what you went on to do next. Maybe also where you started. I have a lot of aspiring um, people that want to get into financials, accountants, entrepreneurs. So maybe how you started and a bit about your journey, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I very humble background. Uh, and one of the rules of life really is you never forget where you come from. So sadly, we all end up in the same place. Uh, but it's the journey we live and the adventures that we live that, where we can make a difference and hopefully uh, give something back. So in terms of career, uh, I left um, my hometown down in Folkestone, Kent, uh, very humble backgrounds, was one of the first generation to go to university, to college. And um, then I, I kind of went back to London and I sort of never looked back. I joined a, a, a pretty much a, a startup company at the time called Oracle. Uh, and I was there nine years. I joined in the late 80s. And now that company is about 140,000 people, 40 billion of revenues. You know, I had privilege of working with amazing people there. Um, Steve Garnett, Polly Sumner, Mark Benioff, who is the chief executive chairman of Salesforce.com, you know, another company. They're worth probably about $150 billion. Wow. Uh, Larry Ellison. So just um, amazing people. And uh, it's sort of, there's a cadre of uh, brilliant technology leaders that came out of that and entrepreneurs that build global businesses, most of them out of Silicon Valley. But some of us, you know, we're very lucky to kind of be working in London, but commuting a lot to California. And then I actually went to, to run a Californian-based company uh, in the sort of beginning of 2000s um, and was chief executive there. It was a public company. We grew it really quickly. So, you know, if there's entrepreneurs out there who like fast growth, we went from zero startup to $70 million of revenues in four years. So well, it was kind of a time where we had to fasten our seatbelts, just work incredibly hard. Uh, but it was a, a fantastic ride. Um, and then we put it on the NASDAQ public market in the U.S., uh, and then actually around my family reasons, um, I chose to came back in the mid-2000s and was very lucky to be offered a job, uh, a great British company called Microfocus based out of Newbury. 
And they're a public company, but sadly the company was on its knees uh, and it had mass customer attrition and it had really old technology and loads of problems, you know, kind of. So it needed a complete root and branch transformation, uh, which I led with the team, built a great team there, you know, credit to the team actually. And uh, we, we had a plan, you know, like you have dreams as a businessman. Yeah, and you come out with these kind of uh, sort of pithy phrases. And one of the ones we wanted to do was grow very, very fast. Uh, and the year before I joined, actually, revenues declined, I think, by about 15%. So, you know, we kind of turned the company around. We started growing again within a few months. And the phrase we had internally we used to share a lot is the, the, the plan we were driving was something called three by three. So, you know, it's uh, not, not biblical at all, but it was uh, around tripling the revenues of the company in three years. And the team smashed them all out of the park. They did it. They tripled the company in three years. Um, half of that growth was organic and half of it through acquisitions. Now, the net result, you know, people who you talk about as shareholders and investors were delighted because um, I think it was the best performing stock on the FTSE, the um, UK London exchange. And it went up about 600%. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, very happy, both customs, employees, uh, community in Newbury, and also shareholders. And then actually I, I got sort of involved um, for a, a, almost like a sabbatical. I went into the public sector, something I never imagined I'd do. But it was around trying to help with the deficit reduction program. Uh, and the legacy of the last big recession in 2008, 2009. And I was appointed as the first chief operating officer of the civil service. Um, and the team, again, we built an amazing team, both private and public um, sector, but amazing civil servants I worked with. And uh, again, you meet all these famous people there, you sort of pinch yourself. Uh, but the team delivered amazing things. So they uh, delivered savings of about 50 billion pounds during that um, five-year period from 2010 to 2015 and actually again change government procurement to make it much easier to deal with small businesses that the small businesses uh, that we dealt with um went up in terms of the money we spent with them from about 2.6 billion pound a year to 11 billion pound by 2015 so so by that time 25 percent of all government spending was with small and medium businesses and 95 percent of those businesses were in the uk and scotland um northeast northwest uh, and it was, uh, I think, uh, a turbocharge for sort of job creation in small and medium businesses. And then uh, I went back to the private sector uh, at the end of that um, in uh, November 2014 uh, to join Sage, which, again, largest technology company in the UK, based in Newcastle, wonderful people. Um, and, you know, ch cherished national treasure, really, uh, but sadly losing customers losing market share, so mass customer attrition again. And it was a huge transformation required in the company in terms of new products, um, marketing messages to reposition the company as the champion of entrepreneurs uh, and put the customer at the heart of the business. And then right through, you know, even down to the way we develop products and speed and agility and velocity, even down to the sort of governance structures of the company, Every, everything during my tenure changed. Uh, and my stewardship, I think, left the company in a much better shape. Uh, and actually, when I left, it was the eighth largest cloud company, so a modern software company uh, in the 
the world and, and the fastest growing. And when I left, it was about 57%, that part of the business growing, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of value uh, revenues. And uh, did some uh, incredible things with the team there. Started something called the Sage Foundation, which was uh, a really kind of cool platform that'll allow all our employees to do five days volunteering allowed a, a massive uh, fund to build for charities for women actually around aspects like domestic violence and youth uh, to try and eradicate things like youth homelessness in Newcastle so um, amazing things and I, I left behind a, a fantastic team there that have carried on the strategy and I'm very proud and again you know shareholders are pretty happy because during my tenure uh, the share price doubled uh, and outperformed all the sort of FTSE 100 uh, companies. So, yeah, it's, wow. I, I do, honestly, Khadija, I, I pinch myself, been very lucky, just a working class boy and very much got my feet on the ground and had an amazing life adventure, career adventure. But with that, you know, you've heard about all the good stuff. Invariably, there's been oh, stuff that's right. wrong and I've made mistakes uh, as we all do. Yeah. But also, you're so humble, and I love it so much. This is called Keeping It Real. But you're saying you're very lucky, but you've also worked very hard to achieve those kind of results as such huge companies. My, my jaw is literally on the floor. Like, for people listening to the podcast, I'm in awe. Because, um, so I studied a law degree, and then my first kind of corporate job was for the Financial Ombudsman Service. And yep. to be honest, that interview process was, was scarier than the apprentice interview process. I was so scared and I remember they asked me a question and I answered the wrong question and I waffled on and I was sweating. For you to get into these positions, you know, one, yes, you had a proven track record, but to be able to keep applying for these positions and, and go through the interview process and prove yourself, surely that was really nerve-wracking and hard work, right? What kind of tips would you give someone going into a job of that high profile? Yeah, you, I, I think you've done amazing things, Khadija. So I was, I was very privileged and honoured that you kind of asked me, and I appreciate that. Uh, but when I look at your career, you've got a, an amazing life journey ahead of you, uh, but you've achieved incredible things uh, so far, as well as The Apprentice, other things uh, in your personal life, and I think you're a great role model. So uh, lots of positives there. But, I, you know, I, I um, yeah, think... When I look at great successes, it's probably, uh, I think this is a, a phrase I'll borrow, um, it's like 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Uh, and it's a lot of hard work. You know, I, I wouldn't have done anything without the hard graft that's gone into it. And actually, almost, this probably comes from my sort of working class route. My mum used to say, you know, hard work kill no one. And I've had to graft. Now, tips for people out there. Um, I think, you know, what I would say is I would never think I'm very good at interviewing. I don't think I'm good at kind of applying for jobs and stuff like that. And it's a different skill set of sort of selling yourself in 40 minutes with a panel interview or something like that. And it is intimidating. Um, and some of these interviews, you have to do psychometric tests and stuff like that. Um, so with all these things, I think there's a lesson in life is practice. It doesn't make perfect, but it gives you a great chance of success. And I think it was Rory McIlroy, one of the golfers that said, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Uh, and that's so true. So, you know, if you're going for interviews or you're going to, in your business, pitch for money to a venture capitalist or whatever, it's definitely worth 
test driving it and uh, uh, road testing it with friends, anybody in the industry, part of your network that you could reach out to. So you can actually practice and hone those skills to make sure that you go in with the best chance that you ever, ever have. And I think that's all you can do. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of mentoring at the moment for chief executives and all I'd, all I'd ask them to do is try and be the best chief executives they can do every, every day and then reflect at the end of the day, kind of what went well, what didn't go so well, what could they improve? And then tomorrow when they wake up, just be a better chief executive and a better leader because um, it's a journey. And with all these journeys, it, there's no, no end in sight. And there's, the, the only reality is we can all improve. Yeah. But those kind of roles, something of, of that level, manager, director, chief executive, those kind of things, are they traditionally, do you apply like on Indeed or Read or are you poached? Do people find you? How does it work? Um, so... I, you know, again, I've been lucky. I, I've typically had inbound calls. Most sort of big chief executive roles would be um, predominantly through recruitment, big kind of consultants who actually all their business is to do like board appointments, directors and chief executives uh, and some of the executive team. Uh, and there's, there's lots of very prestigious companies in London and New York and every big city doing this and their machine is that you know they'll find out through uh they'll be contracted with a company to say we need to appoint a chairman or a chief executive then they'll start an executive search and then in part of that you're likely to get a call if you you're qualified and known in the industry whether you're in a role or you're you're actually um out of work then you start a kind of a process where there's a long list and the short list. And, and at each stage, there's typically a lot of interviews and there could be lots of other sort of tests on the way as well. Um, and it, it's grueling. And quite often, it happened. The, the quickest it ever happened, actually, is when I was appointed to SAGE, where, where the end-to-end -end process was probably only, I don't know, four, four to six weeks from the first meeting to the appointment, which is very, very rapid. Um, but normally it would be a to average a three week, three month process. So, um, but what, what I would advise again, your, your folks out there to, to be aware of is if they're really keen on a role or a job, do your research on the company and start reaching people and, and contacting people like, you know, you contacted me, Khadija. Um, I, I found most people, well, most people are very generous with their time. And we all have these voices in our heads saying, oh, we can't apply for that. Or, you know, I haven't got the skills or I haven't got the experience. And what we need to do sometimes is just be a bit bolder and back ourselves and trust ourselves and be true to ourselves. Um, and therefore, you know, if, you, if there's a job you want, write to the CEO or write to the chairman or, or, or whoever it is who kind of holds the keys to the castle. And lo and behold, you might be surprised you get a response or contact them on Instagram or Facebook, whatever, you know, whatever, wherever they are, go kind of golden rule, just go where the audience is. Yeah. And, and likewise, if you're an entrepreneur and you're raising money for your business, uh, there's a great network of angel investors. There's a great network of venture capitalists. And, and in reality, you know, you, you can't, one of the things I learned is, you can't really leave it to someone else to um, take responsibility for your development. You have to own that. You put your monkey on your shoulder. And also for your success in your career, 
I think it's it's absolutely imperative that it's your responsibility and take responsibility. Obviously, there's loads of people around you and you can build a network of mentors uh, and coaches. However, you know, you should never abdicate that responsibility. Uh, and if you ask, you know, another phrase from my childhood, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So, so you know, you just got to put yourself out there. And sometimes, I, I guess, Khadija, uh, I've, I've had lots of knockbacks. Um, and sometimes in my career, it's felt like being in the ring with Tyson Fury and getting battered and then someone picks you up off the canvas and, you know, you go again and you get battered and you just got to pick yourself up and, and dust yourself off um, and have, I guess, some mental strength and resilience to take those knocks because um, we all get them. And, you know, in our business of uh, the business of business, it, it's tough. If you're in the world of culture and drama and you're an actor, you're probably getting 10 rejections for one job. Mm-hmm. So you, you just have to attune. And I, I guess the final point I'd make is when you do get rejection, that's no bad thing because, you know, I, the phrase I use is feedback is the breakfast of champions. Uh, and if you believe that, what you should think is not a yes, no answer. is probably yes, there was someone better, so they're not going to go with you. But the question to ask them is what can you learn from the process and what feedback are they prepared to give you? And very often, you know, you'll find that through that feedback, you can improve for the next time, whether it's a job, whether you're fundraising, whatever it is, and you consistently hone your message and tell your story um, better. Because I think a great skill of all of us, and I think you're fantastic at this, is the whole storytelling, really. Um, just telling your story, make it compelling, make it interesting and make it engaging. So, um, the only way you find that out is to start telling it, get some feedback, take some knocks, change it, evolve it, improve it. And then, yeah, again, you never get to the finished article, but it's, it's a whole lot better than probably what, what it was a month ago. Oh, I'm loving this interview so much. I feel inspired to take over the world. Every word that's coming out your mouth, I'll be like, yes, let's do this. Uh, I know the audience, when, when this goes out, they're going to be thinking the exact same thing. I don't know if you mean it intentional or if it's just natural, but you have a very um, natural, motivational awe about you. And I love that because I get told that about me as well. I, I mentor people that are in business and help them with branding and scaling etc probably not at the level of where you're at but you know getting there trying um but I get that as well that when I speak and I and I think you said it a couple of times humble beginnings I think it is because I also came from a humble beginning you know my mum was a single mum I'm the eldest of four I felt this responsibility to be the first to go to university and almost prove myself and and show the world and and the council estate that we lived on that I can do more and I love going into schools and and uh, influencing the children and especially in underprivileged areas and letting them know that you know if I can do it and if you can do it Stephen if we can do it that everybody can do it right yeah uh, Khadija you know I find you inspiring and what you're doing by giving back and helping the kids you know uh, when, when I look at it uh, loads of my buddies from school, uh, first of all, I thought they were smarter than me. Uh, you know, I wasn't the best kid at school. Um, and, and they just stayed in this sort of sleepy town uh, where there were just no jobs, really. Um, and I, I didn't realise it when I lived there. I loved it. 
but they've gone off and smart. And I'm still in touch with them years and years later, but you know, they went off to work in the British Rail ticket office or Barclays front office on the desk or be a postman or be a policeman or work down in the customs at Dover. And, and they did those jobs, pretty much same job for 40 years, 30 years. Um, and through luck and opportunity, I just left the town, went to college, and I sort of never looked back and, and never went back to live there. I went back to visit. But, but I, it makes me realize, kind of one is, you know, I had a state education. I went to a state school. How lucky I was. I had, in my day, I had a full grant to go to university. So again, you know, I thank the taxpayer who funded great education for me to get the opportunity and give me, I guess, the springboard in, into my career. But also that sort of gives me a sense of responsibility to give back. And, you know, I go and talk to kids like you at schools and I can just honestly tell them, you know, I, I used to get told off loads. I got suspended. I, you know, all this stuff. I, 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 you know, I didn't, I was not, not the smart kid in the corner who was top of the class at everything. It's just a normal kid that just loved to run around, create a bit of havoc and just live life. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, and but but despite that, I I got an education, and that was a platform for me to go off, and I'm very grateful for that. It was a huge amount of gratitude. But I do think people like you, uh, and actually through your podcast, it is very inspiring to give um, people the opportunity to listen to, you know, what went well, some of the successful journeys, you know, what do we learn, some of the knocks we've had, um, because it's not always a walk in the park. And uh, it's tough. It, it, and I, actually, you know, I talk about some of the people I've met. I've met celebrities. I've met lots of prime ministers. I've met lots of very successful business people. Generally, they're all nice people. Um, you know, generally very kind people, very generous with their time. So that's why I'd always say to anybody, reach out to them. You might get surprised and they'll, they'll respond to your mails or DMs or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and they, they always, you know, the other thing, they always want to help the younger generation. Um, there's, there's something almost like an innate human um, part of the DNA where you actually want to give back and help the next generation. And you also want people not to make the same mistakes that we've made. Yeah, it's so true. Oh, I love this. We're like, did you get told off in school for talking too much? You know, yeah. always talking. And yeah. I, that's one gripe that I have because the, when you're an adult and you're in business, um, talking and building a network is such a key feature to be as successful. You're now part of my network, guests that come on my podcast. I just recently had Alan Barrett, Grenade uh, Bar founder, CEO, you know, lots of other successful people. If I was told to stop talking and then became a bit of, you know, I don't know, in my shell or something, I wouldn't have the skills that I have now. So one gripe that I do have of any educators listening, stop telling the kids to stop talking because they need to talk to network, to grow their network, to be successful. Do you agree, Stephen? Yeah, and um, actually there's a brilliant side. I think it's, was it Cat Stevens? Is it father and son? where the, the, the word, the, the line is something like, as soon as I was able to talk, I was told to stop. You know, as soon as I learned to talk, you know, I was told, be quiet, shh. 
Yeah. Um, and and that yeah, that was very much, uh, I guess, how I was brought up. Children, should, another phrase, children should be seen and not heard, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, when I went off and I sort of did professional training and stuff, one of the brilliant things I was told because I did I, I did talk, yeah. and I, I guess there's like all of us, we're very different in different circumstances. So with my friends, I was very chatty. But with new people, I was quite shy and quite actually introvert. And, and especially, you know, when you go off in the world of business and you go into a room with lots of business people, you think they all know each other, they're all much better than me, they've all done it before. I feel very, you know, I feel very tiny, actually, um, and insignificant. And then you get your voices in your head saying, well, you know, you, you, they all think you're going to fail and all that sort of stuff. So there's a fear of failure there. But the reality is, you know, one thing I found out um, just by people sort of coaching me that, you know, great phrase is, you know, you were given two ears and one mouth. Generally use them in that proportion. Mm -hmm. um, so listen, I, I think I, I love talking, but I, there's an amazing skill of active, active listening where you really kind of engage. And it's just a joy in a, either business situation where you're chatting to people about what their business issues are, what keeps them up at night, and then they start sharing it. And you encapsulate that into some solutions that will help their business. And, you know, that could be the genesis of creating a product or a service that you could build a business against. And I, I just find that quite magical, actually. So mm -hmm. that interaction that you talk about, the talking, the listening, the conversation around how to improve the world, make the world a better place and, and give them products and services they really need either for their well-being or their business or their success, um, you know, is, is a great human ingenuity of creativity that allows us to build businesses, create products and, and all those sort of things. And ironically, in these terrible sort of corona times, I think we've seen loads of innovation out of people, you know, not just doing the Zoom classes and the yoga classes, but not all the Joe Wick stuff. We've seen all that. But it's just amazing how people have been incredibly kind and it's brought out the best in people. And we've seen loads of innovation. You know, a, a crazy one I saw was um, a guy who runs a crane business in France. Um, obviously, no one was building because of the lockdown. But he used the cranes to allow families to be um, raised on a platform to actually talk to their relatives in care homes so they could do it socially distanced. And he just gave these cranes out free for families to meet their elderly relatives because obviously it's terrible if you've got an elderly relative, you're not allowed to see them and then they die. Um, and I just think just that innovation of him kind of thinking, I've got all these cranes spare, there's all this human tragedy happening around me, what can I do to help? Um, you would never have thought of that. And, uh, you know, I think these terrible crises sort of brings out the best in people, but also is a real spark for amazing innovation. And, and I've seen that in our industry and technology where stuff like, you know, this stuff was invented, what, 2007, sort of right at the start of the financial crisis. So there's been some great innovations and inventions that have come out of some tough times and crisis. So uh, that, that certainly uh, keeps me optimistic about life. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I'm going to just, some of the questions that I sent you, I'm so interested that I'm just asking questions. Sorry. These are off the list. I hope you don't mind. Um, Honestly, don't mind. Don't mind. I feel bad for your Wi-Fi problems because again, you know, 
What what do we take for granted? We take, you know, like cell phone signals for granted now. We take Wi-Fi. The, the Wi-Fi failed once on me in nine weeks of lockdown. And, you know, I was going to do um, a webinar for loads of people, and I think, oh, please work, please work. <laughs> I was just begging to work. I to, I, all the stuff we do, reboot the router, all this sort of stuff, sort of basic trouble. So it came back, but it's it's amazing how we take these things for granted. And, and you know, good quality bandwidth is really important. So, yeah, Khadija, yeah. I felt for you this morning. So, well, my with your Wi Fi. back from uni, so he's here for all of the summer, obviously, social distance, and he's been in isolation, but he had to get out of his uni house. So, he's here. And I think him jumping on is like set it off maybe it's not got the capacity for you know phones we've got phones laptops everything the kids ipad youtube kids ryan who's worth have you seen that kid ryan on youtube oh my goodness he him and his parents started making videos and now i don't know it's like 20 30 million they're worth that is one business idea that i am thinking of going into with the kids why not little yep. side hustle <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. No, if, if you got if you got kind of brothers back doing FIFA and Call of Duty and all this sort of stuff, you know, having lots of choose up the bandwidth. So just keeping on the topic of the uh, speaking a lot that we were talking about. So one of my questions, as a fairly notoriously outspoken guy, which I have to be honest, when I started researching you, the word outspoken came a lot. Uh, outspoken, outspoken, which I love, by the way, because I'm very outspoken. Um, but a notoriously outspoken guy, have you ever felt intimidated of business? Well, I'm going to split that up into two questions. Firstly, why do you have the outspoken tag? I have the aggressive tag from The Apprentice. I'm quite clearly not aggressive, but I'm assertive, and that got misconstrued. But you have this outspoken when I researched you. So what, why is that? I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I, don't, I just am very straightforward and very honest with people. So uh, I just think in the long run, it's just much better to be that way. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. My observation, I've met, again, loads of people who in the public gaze have a, a sort of tag and a reputation. And when you get to know them, you know, again, they're just very ordinary, straightforward people. Uh, and it, it's quite, it's just almost, it's very difficult to characterize a person with one label. Yeah. Um, when they're such complex individuals. So I, I just, I, I always, I think it's good actually for leaders to have a strong point of view thing on, on aspects. And actually, um, just give you an example, when I was chief executive of SAGE, there was a whole movement in Georgia where they wanted to make it very difficult and allow businesses to be able to discriminate on LGBT. <laughs> and we employed, you know, 1,200 people in Atlanta, Georgia. So I thought, I, I just think that's wrong. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I'm a massive fan of equality, um, gender equality. Uh, and I, I just felt, and actually Mark Benioff for the head of Salesforce felt the same. We wrote to the governor said, basically that a lot of businesses, if you, if you progress this legislation that will, uh, basically foster discrimination, then we'll have to review our investment plans for your state. And ultimately, think about taking jobs out or giving jobs to other states. And, you know, because of the business community, um, they, they stopped the legislation. 
And, uh, you know, I, I just think around equality, we've still got so much more to do. Um, you know, we made progress. But on those sort of things, I think leaders um, should have a point of view. Now, there, there's a different train of thought where actually, you know, people would say, well, chief executives shouldn't speak up on those things. But I think, you know, if it's around humanity, if it's around equality, if it's around supporting the vulnerable, it's around doing the right thing. Um, I'm a massive believer. I have, we have this phrase called compassionate capitalism which gives leaders a sense of responsibility to serve all their stakeholders, including their community, uh, and especially the disadvantaged, to give them a platform for equality. So you know, I'm, I, I have always said that. But that may, uh, as a result, give people the license to say, actually, he's quite outspoken. But I just think it's the right thing to do. Um, uh, I hate I hate tags. I have to say, I got it off the show. I was outspoken, exactly like you. I'm only outspoken when something's wrong. When something's mm. wrong, I can't keep my mouth shut. I will not be outspoken. You know, I'm not aggressive. I'm not argumentative. But if something is clearly wrong morally, then I am going to speak up. And then I got branded the aggressive tag, which for PR was great. I mean, it's helped me, you know, loads. Um, but like you, getting given that tag, it is frustrating. However, I'd rather be known for speaking up when something's wrong than just sitting back and letting... What do they say? Um, it's like spreading a rumour is just as bad as creating the rumour. Sitting back and watching something happen is just as bad as doing the bad thing. So... I love that that's, you know, that, that when I researched you that I found that because that's right up my street. So congratulations for being outspoken. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Khadija, I, you know, I just think about all the areas we grew up as kids and sadly, you know, bullying was a factor of life and stuff like that. And I was so proud of the kids who said, you know, so if you played sport, you typically didn't get bullied. If you were good, you played in the school teams and stuff. Um, and I was so proud of those kids who said, actually, kind of, that's not okay. You know, it's not okay to exclude someone or call them names. That's not okay. Um, so I, I got massive respect for people who take a principle stand, do the right thing, and and follow their moral compass, really. And, and it... It's easy to say, but when you're in heat at the moment, there's massive peer pressure and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's, it's tough to actually keep the moral compass, your North Star, and make sure you really are guided by that. So, the, you know, I, I, in, in the context of your question as well, yeah, I, I find situations still intimidating. And, you know, uh, I've done, well, speeches to 15,000 people. I've been, you know, TV, all that sort of stuff. So even now, I'd always be a bit nervous. Um, I still find it intimidating going into a big room of people for the first time and meeting them. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think, I don't know, you probably never get over those sort of nerves. Um, and I'm sure you, when you were going through things like Apprentice and you've gone on TV and you always have a bit of nerves and, and I, it's probably just, and just a natural, um, a natural sort of motivator actually. So I, and I, I don't think anybody's superhuman out there. I think everybody feels those inner kind of thoughts and worries. Um, and I think really good, you can have mindfulness or you can have lots of meditation and routines to help you through those. 
uh, and visualizations I've, I've found very powerful actually in, in book growing businesses. If you visualize the end, it's almost like sports psychology. If you visualize winning the race, then you kind of work backwards and put in place what did I need to do in terms of training, in terms of preparation, in terms of diet, in terms of all these sort of things. Um, and, and running a business and building a fantastic world-class business that you're really proud of is no different. And, uh, but, but take it from me. I, I, have anxieties and worries like everybody else and we all do and and we've all got to find ways to overcome them and get support of friends um and to keep well because i think yeah actually you know what what do i love most of all is when i see a real sense of wellness both physically and mentally uh in teams and that typically provides very high performing teams and if if someone's vulnerable you just got to put your arm around them and support them and help them get through that thank you so much for talking openly about you know mental health in a way i am very open about that on social media and on my podcast um, my first daughter Saraya, was born starved of oxygen um, and was part of a trial at uclh in london and for about a year i was talking about this yesterday to my brother for a year i would look at the floor and look at her head and because it was brain related i would think if i just opened my hands she could fall on the floor and then she'll die and that was a weird, crazy obsession that I had for about a year. And it was with sharp corners and tables. And I've, I've been very open talking about these things because at the time I genuinely thought I had lost it. Like I did not know what was going on. She was six months old. I started my cleaning business with just 20 pounds. I knew I wanted to be with her. So I'd take her with me on cleaning jobs. And it wasn't until she was 12 months old and the and the dreams had become crazy. And, you know, I was waking up disturbed. I went to the doctor and the doctor said to me, Khadija, you've got post-traumatic stress disorder and postnatal anxiety. And if you were to have diabetes, I'd give you insulin. If you had asthma, I'd give you an inhaler. You've got what you've got. And I will give you these tablets to help you. After that, I never took the tablets. He also recommended a book, like you said, on mindfulness and said, read this book before you go to sleep, you know, think about these things. But just the fact that he told me that it was normal actually helped me more than he knew. And I find a lot in the entrepreneurial space, in business, in people that have high level stressful jobs, that this anxiety and this depression and this stress with success comes a lot of that. And I want to use this platform and interviewing people like yourself so that if anybody else is listening and is feeling this way or is having some unusual thoughts or, you know, what they might consider crazy. Um, I just did the little, you know, finger for those listening. What's this called? The inverted commas thing. Um, crazy because no one is crazy when you're having those thoughts. Actually, it's very normal. And thank you for just even touching upon it because I think it's so important that people do talk about that stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's not one continuum, is it? So, you know, you, you live a life and you go through highs and lows, um, and different circumstances, different jobs, different groups, different peer groups, different, you know, financial elements of your life. Um, they, you know, it's topsy turvy. It is a roller coaster ride. Um, so to have that kind of, you know, consistency through your life is just—it's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, I, I'm a big fan of social media, but there's some massive downsides and risk with the screen culture 
of the kids growing up today and Gen Z where, you know, they're, they're exposed and truthfully, you know, I don't often post a lot of stuff when I'm, I've had a really, really, really bad day. It's, you know, it's very much glamorized about, you know, not at the moment, but having a great holiday, posting loads of stuff on Instagram, TikTok or whatever. Um, so inevitably everybody shows the very best side of themselves. And then loads of us is filtered, photoshopped and stuff like that. So, so it's not kind of real life. Um, and I think, you know, what I would say is in the last decade, I think we've all become a lot more comfortable talking about it. And again, the best start of all these things is just to share what you did when you went on to your doctor uh, and just be able to talk about it, verbalize it and talk about the anxieties and, um, just the uh, depression or the stress. And, and there, there are, I think there's some great, obviously, help available, but it's important to share that. And typically the help will be either self-care and that could be, you know, it could be mindfulness, it could be yoga, it could be meditation, it could be exercise, all these sort of things, sleep, really yeah. important. Then, um, then obviously maybe talking therapy could be helpful and medication could be helpful or any different combination of those as to where you are in your personal journey. But I think, um, yeah, now mental health is getting as much profile as physical health. And I think that's absolutely right to do so. And, and again, to build great teams and, and great cultures, I think people want to work for companies that are very honest about these things and bring the elephant in the room and say, you know, no one's pointing fingers. We've all, we all go through a journey and we all go through ups and downs and uh, it's just being authentic about that and seeking help and, and having uh, help in place, uh, professional help to, to guide you through if you need it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. I'm, we, that wasn't one of the questions, but I'm glad we did go on to that because it's very much on brand for what I talk about. And also, if you are going through mental health struggles, particularly during this time, um, you know, yes, of course, reach out, get help, speak to people, contact me if you like, if you're listening. Um, but don't let it hold you back. I find sometimes, particularly my mum, she suffers with anxiety and depression and it's held her back in her life because, you know, that worry, lack of confidence, anxiety, that it's always going to be there. And even the people that seem the most confident, people see me and they think I'm ultra confident. I'll walk into a room and I'll, when I'm nervous, I talk more and I try to make people laugh. And then that is instantly, everybody goes, oh, she's so confident. Actually, I'm really bricking it inside um but i'm just trying you know that's my instant mechanism so even if you are going through those things other people that are on their journey of success are going through it too it's just we are combating it every day um okay so i'm going to go back to uh, my first question so we went we're jumping around questions here but here goes um so after being as successful as you have been is there anything that you struggle with now? I mean, what is it that you're doing right now? And is there anything that you're struggling with currently? Yeah, and, and I've struggled probably, yeah, over throughout my career. Um, so one of the, the very personal to me is I've struggled to have like an off button. Mm. You know, I'm almost all, always on, you know, like a, I got, actually, this is way back early career they said you know it's like a Duracell bunny just keeps going high energy uh very positive and all that stuff but it's true uh I I find it hard to relax and I'm trying to 
sort of educate myself and and also switch you know sometimes switches off not have this at the dinner table just kind of um just not to be always on and also to i think it's important for everybody actually to take time out to be kind to yourself and to do something for you and i think particularly when you become a parent you know it just can be just from first thing in the morning till last thing in the night, you're just giving and giving and giving, yeah. and giving and giving. You're just giving of yourself and you're in service of everybody around you or if you've got elderly relatives. And it's really important just to take some time out and just either go for a walk or you know, sit in the garden or read a book or whatever whatever you need to do. And I, I'm just not very good at that because I'm, I'm always on and probably the other thing I'm, a, I'm self-critical um, I struggle sometimes to prioritize things and um, actually you know one of probably one of my weaknesses is saying no um, and at the moment you know, lockdown I've been consumed with podcasts and webinars for CEOs and mentoring and stuff like that because there's been a lot of people out there who's, who suggested they needed help so I've been available. But again, I think we can all get into that mode, but you know, we need to reflect and just make sure we're being kind to ourselves uh, because it's hard to give if you, you don't feel that platform. I'm very sorry. We've been interrupted. Yourself. We've been interrupted by a three-year-old. I apologize. Yes. Fine. Oh no. Hey, Hey, a couple of things. Great things. No, Khadija, put them on. Hiya. I love kids. I just love kids. So, Hiya. What, what did you say? She wants me to unzip her dress. Sorry, Stephen. Carry on. <laughs> what's, her, what's her name? Talia. Talia. Tali. You want to say Talia? Oh, she's only in pants now. She's running. Hey, tell her, tell her, Khadija, if she wants me to tell her a joke, I'll tell her a great three-year-old joke. Tali, do you want to hear a joke? But she's got to watch me just needs to get changed. Well, when she comes back, it's great. The other thing, actually, I've, um, I, again, I've been just blown away with the companies I'm involved in, an investor or a director and, um, and mentoring the CEO. They've done loads of amazing stuff to help their colleagues at work, working from home with sort of mental health support and obviously fun things like, you know, cycling competitions and um, bake-offs in the house and all this sort of – so loads of fun stuff, but also set up buddy programs whereby, you know, someone who's really, you know, rock solid and feeling good and used to working from home sort of buddies up with someone who might work in a tower block with no green space, with no balcony, with three kids running around and uh, a pet or whatever. Yeah. And, and expected to, and, and they've also, the, the other thing which I think is brilliant, is a lot of companies have sort of issued charters to say, you know, don't judge anything if you have three-year-olds or one-year-olds running across the screen, that's fine. Yeah. If you have your dog tearing across and tearing up the, you know, the, the cushions in the room and you have to deal with the dog, that's fine. And, yeah. and they've, they've, they've sort of issued this charter to say, you know, just be comfortable. This is, we're all in this situation together. And, and like people would normally apologize saying, oh, my little Talia's run across the screen. We're getting an interruption. No, it's fine. Just, yeah. it's just it's yeah. just very normal it's just it. very it's, normal yeah it's like now we understand humanity more than b 
before in a way you know people realize that there are children running and I don't know if you have my dog bark and then halfway through I had to stand up and shut the windows because they're riding the bikes out the front and I'm recording this podcast from my bed because it's the one room that usually I can get a bit of privacy if I shut the door (laughs) so um well thank you for being so understandable well actually that leads me to another question which was thanks for the interruption, Tali. I'm sure she'll come back ready for the joke in a bit. Um, so Great, Tali. You're a father of three daughters, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have two and another girl on the way. So I'll be in the three daughter club. Have uh, Have you juggled different family priorities in in order to meet important deadlines? Yeah. And definitely, you know, Khadija, if I have my time again, um, well, number one, you know, I went away all over the world and worked everywhere. My partner has been unbelievable. And, you know, we made sacrifices, but she's made unbelievable sacrifices, been an amazing mum. And given the kids a very loving, supportive, you know, family environment. Uh, and, and a lot of these decisions we sort of went into, and in retrospect, I sort of kicked myself because I almost slept walked. When, when I got asked to be the chief executive out in California, I sort of slept walked into that decision. I didn't kind of get, uh, the advice I give myself now is write it down and, and really be tough on yourself about the advantages, disadvantages, the pros and cons, and then have a you know, family discussion about priorities and what's important, and then put it in the context of that and then make a, a really positive decision one way or the other. Um, and, and kind of growing up, yeah, I love my girls so much. They're 26, 23, and 20 now, and they're the light of my life. Um, and we've got fantastic sort of adult-to-adult relationship. We do loads of fun things, you know, um, just just whether it's go for a walk or chat together. It's been, for us, having lockdown, where they've all come home, ironically, we never would have expected our three, three grown-up girls to be at home together, apart from maybe at Christmas. Uh, but now it's, it's just incredible. We've got a cooking rotor where we share out the cooking and the domestic stuff. Um, and, and it's just such a fun environment, sitting down to dinner at night, and we got incredibly well. But growing up, um, it, you know, there was big sacrifices. And, and when you look at the glamorous side of sort of what I achieved in my career, it's very easy to kind of, pop that with a bubble and say, yeah, but you had to go away. And I, there are a couple of little stories. So what I did do is I always made the big days. So I always, even if I had to fly back from California, I'd be there for sports day, parents evening, nativity plays, birthdays, you know, obviously all these important days to the kids growing up, I never missed any. Um, but I, I certainly, in terms of um, what I would say is, my eldest daughter said to me when, when she was little and I had to fly on a Sunday night to New York, uh, that she'd kind of go upstairs and have a quiet little cry. Uh, and when I hear that, it just breaks my heart, actually. I didn't know that at the time. But when you reflect, you know, what, 20 years later, you just think, oh, yeah, that's just tough. And, and there's that sort of sense of sadness and loss. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, in pe- retrospect, I, I probably would have made some different choices, but I'm, I'm sort of a believer of generally no regrets because you, you learn from the past, you live in the present and you create the future. 
But um, certainly being a dad of three girls that I just love to bits and it is a joy in life. And, you know, where you are with your kids and little Talia and stuff. You see it, as, as if on cue. <laughs> every stage is magical. Hey, Talia. Come here, look. See the, Talia, Talia. I've got a joke. Oh, she wants to show you her pony's top. Here, show. Hiya. Oh, she's drinking my drink. You're going to show me your pony's top? I want to hear the joke. Go on, Stephen, tell me. She's there at the end of the bed. A three-year joke. Yeah, so so um, this is, yeah, so Talia, you got, can she watch the screen? Tali, Tali, you need to see the screen. It's a really good one. She's it's a visual stage. joke. She's at that stage where she's like, I'll do what I want. No, I like, I like that. She's so easy to bribe. One sweet and she's all mine. Look, she's back already. I'll get you a sweet if you listen to the joke. Because I want to hit, yeah, straight away. Come on then. Tully, you need to learn how to haggle a little bit. Bargaining tool. She could have got two sweets. Two sweets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two sweets. Two sweets. Three sweets and I'll leave you alone for the rest three of the sweets. podcast. Three sweets. Here we go. Come up. Hey, Tully. She cut her own friend. Hiya. You saw on my... Oh, I love it. Hey, Tully. It's great. Can you show me your T-shirt? What's on your T-shirt? What's on there? <laughs> oh, is that what's... Is it a pony? It's a unicorn. Oh, wow. Has the unicorn got a name? Has it got a name? Or she? Um, it's called Emma. 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 What a lovely name for a unicorn. So are you ready for a joke, Tali? Yeah. Bye. Yeah. What, what's the fastest cake in the world? The fastest cake you've ever seen? Fastest cake? Chocolate cake. That's very close. It could be fast. But you're watching. You're watching, Tali. Watch the screen. Ready? It's scone. <laughs> a scone. A scone. Scone. It's like, I'm not posh enough. I've never right. eaten a scone. <laughs> when, you go, when you go back to school and you can tell your teacher, remember this, what's the fastest cake in the world? And then you've got to turn your head one way and really quickly turn it the other way and say scone. You can say scone. It's like the cake's gone. <laughs> It's gone. We'll practice. We'll practice. I'll send you a video. She started school in September as well, so that'll be good for her to network with her friends. Start. You're going into reception. She is. Yeah, big school. Wow. And have you got lots of friends you're going into from nursery? Oh, that's a good question. She goes to a nursery. Yeah, a couple actually. Yeah, her friend Lola is going to go into the same school as you, isn't she? Uh, yeah, Lola. Very exciting, Tali. That yeah. yeah. Hey, Tali, have you been you've been helping mummy? Have you been helping? Go get the sweets. Yeah. Then. Where they are? Yeah. Tell Uncle Cass to get them. They're in the cupboard. Where the tea? That's great, Tali. See you later. Bye. So bye, bye. Bye bye. Nice to chat bye. to you. Good girl, but don't get them on your own. Let Uncle Cass get them. Okay. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> Stephen. That was fun. Very cute. Yeah, Very uh, keeping it real. Uh, she's great. I love it. Yeah, kids. kids the, the joy of kids is they're just they're just uncut, unplugged. They yeah. are what outspoken. they are. Outspoken. Yeah, outspoken. <laughs> um, normally, they only get in a bad mood if they're hungry, tired, or in, they've got pain in their tummy or something. Yeah. And the rest of the time, they're just full on. They want your attention and they want to play. It's lovely. And you can get them out of it very easily. A couple of things. Ice lollies, chocolate, or sweets. Usually, yeah. three work a treat. No matter what mood they're in, I could get them out like that. Just a bit of bribery yeah. works. Um, yeah, I completely understand what you mean about the, you know, missing out because there is that fine line. In my 
my situation, I didn't come for very much, you know. Um, my mum wouldn't mind me telling this story because she knows it's to help people, but we had the bailiffs come into our house. She struggled financially. Um, you know, we didn't have all the latest trainers and all of those things. So not, not that material things are super important, but I guess I've always had this desire to know that I would be financially stable and my kids would be okay and we'll go on nice holidays. We just went to Dubai in February. So glad we did because now no one could travel. Um, but, you know, doing these things and I love seeing their face and we just bought a 12 foot uh, swimming pool and they're loving it. And my five-year-old said, thank you so much, mummy. Thank you so much. So, you know, there's that element. I need to work hard because I want them to live in a nice home and have nice things equally it's like you know you do need to miss out on certain things you can't be there for everything so I guess it's just we all have to just try our best to get that balance right juggle it yeah we juggle it and uh, my sort of story uh, similar because I'm working class my dad got sick he ran a business small business and he was sick actually I think they called it nervous breakdown in those days but it was mental health uh, and anyway, we had to sell the business. And I, like, ironically, like you, I was the youngest. But so I'd had a life of passing me down clothes, never had new clothes and stuff like that. And we had no money, so we had to sell our house. We sold the car. And, and we all, you know, me and my brother and sister just went out and got jobs. And I was paying like five quid housekeeping. It was a lot of money then. Yeah. And I had two paper rounds. I worked as a labourer. I worked in hotels. I worked on the seafront selling ice creams. Love then it. when I was 16, I got a job at Sainsbury's. You know, we did whatever just to earn money. Um, and I get, you know, inevitably as a parent, you want to provide security and love and a really nice platform where your kids can, you know, flourish. Uh, and you do want to, and I haven't got the answers for this, but you, you just want a role model of great behaviours and values. Um, so they become they become fantastic citizens and caring individuals, and and but most of all happy in, the, in their souls and happy with themselves. So, um, but it looks like you're doing a good job there. Oh, She's I'm a trying. sweetheart. I'm trying. I don't great know. Fun. Do you know what? I do love these podcasts though because I get to set my brothers here, which is a huge help. Actually, he's playing with them, playing ball or whatever. Um, but. Yeah, with Simon, when I have my podcast interviews, I'm like, uh-uh, no, I need an hour to myself to talk to great people. It's a really great way to get out of doing anything. So I'm actually loving this. Let's keep it going for like half the day and then I'll go back to mum duty. It. It'll be terrific. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, no, go for it. What is the accomplishment that you are most proud of? Wow. P probably a general accomplishment is – and. I've often challenged people who work with me or for me to say, I'd like you to actually exceed your expectations. So what, what, do you, what is it you want to achieve? And then, you know, two years later, three years later, you know, I ask them and they've actually said to me, you know, I, I've become a better leader than I ever thought was possible. And I guess in terms of companies, it, it becomes sort of very personal as a leader and, Yes, yeah, sentimental in a way. There, there was a situation when I came back to the UK and I was appointed chief executive of Microfocus. You know, again, the company was on its knees. Um, and, what, and previously, there wasn't a lot of communication to all the employees. So I started all hands meetings every month. A little kind of, um, I did an uh, email and a sort of video message for them called Monday Matters. 
So get off to the start of the week. Why did you know Monday matters? Because Monday's just an easy phrase, but Mondays matters because it means if you get off well on a Monday, you're gonna have a great week. Um, so and we broke. This is where I did the three by three plan with the team. And uh, in the first um, kind of meeting with the all, all, and it was an amazing atrium building. They all kind of were on the floor and then up on the first and second balconies. And um, and I. So you gave him 15 minutes talking about three by three and what we want to achieve. And, and, you know, given the company was on its knees and losing customers, they probably thought I'd landed from Mars because like, wow, how can we go from where we are, which is terrible to like this land of milk and honey. Um, and we had a pretty good plan and, and everybody was sort of behind it in the, the management team. But obviously when you have to get everybody, you build a movement of all the, you know, in the hundreds or the thousands of people that work for you. Anyway, so a really good guy who's the chief technology officer, uh, Mark Conway, and they, they asked questions and they asked about how realistic it was and stuff like that. And, and I said, you know, as a measure, I, I believe in <laughs> maybe this is sort of my upbringing and maybe it's a bit crazy, but a bit of personal sacrifice. So I said, look, you know, we've let our investors down because where we were and out to the market when we put the company on the stock exchange, it's now worth half of what it was. It went out, I think, £1.30. Now it's worth 70 pence. Um, so our investors have lost money, and I feel bad about that because I never want to let people down. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let our customers down. I don't want to let our community down. I don't want to let our investors down. So I just always want to do a great job for everyone and build teams that do that. Anyway, so um, context was I said, I'm going to give up something I love, which is a glass of wine, until we get the stock price back to doubling from today's value. And I don't know whether it's going to take me nine weeks, nine months, even nine years, whatever it takes. We'll, we'll, we'll work as a team to get it done. But then, um, we, obviously, the business started tracking. We started growing again. Uh, we did our results. And then straight after our results, I think it was about six months after I joined, uh, the stock price went back to about £1.40, so above where it had started. And obviously, by that time, it had doubled since I'd been there. And I, I remember I just, you know, uh, this, this amazing emotion uh, from all our employees, just relief, uh, almost transcending into belief that they actually started believing that the 3 by 3 plan was possible which they definitely didn't when I first stood up. And then um, I did my chat, we took questions, and then actually on the second floor, I remember it quite vividly, Mark said, you know, lots of us honestly were probably quite cynical. We, we didn't think it was possible. We all gave you sort of best, best efforts to try and make it work, but we certainly had our doubts. And he had a bottle of uh, Verve Clico champagne, and he came down, uh, the stairs and just said, you know, on behalf of all of us, you know, it's been great. You've built a team where we believe in the company. Again, we can save the company. Now we can go ahead and not only survive, but really thrive as a company. And uh, that, that is, is, it's a very small accomplishment in many ways, but it, it just has huge emotion. You could, you could feel the excitement, the energy, the relief, the, the sort of transition from we've had a really bad time, we've been beaten up, to actually this just might be possible. Um, and obviously some of those people, you, you know, this, when you look around, you they'd worked there 25 years. 
So they'd left college and it had been their first job from college and they were now in their 40s and, you know, they loved the company. So uh, to, to speak to that emotion and that connection and that commitment and to get the team to believe was, um, uh, you know, maybe not a great accomplishment, but it was very satisfying and it built the platform then that we kind of tripled the company in the three years. And people like Mark and some great people there actually just were better leaders than they ever thought they were possible. And they achieved more. And actually, the guy, uh, who again was quite cynical, who'd been there 25 years, who ran engineering, really nice guy now, he's in California, um, said to me at the end of the journey, he said, look, I've probably worked harder in three years with you than I've ever worked in my previous 25 years, but I've learned more in these three years than I learned in, in the whole of my career. And it's just been an absolute roller coaster ride. It's been just so much fun. And, you know, we've, we are, our hearts and, uh, are lifted and we're so energized about the future going forward. And I find just a little tip for leaders. What, what did I used to do? Um, it's really powerful if you can connect the heads and the hearts. If you do that, you'll find the hands start building momentum and hands mean action and execution and delivery and doing great activity for customers. So, you know, rationally, you know, I got loads. When I did that, first of all, I got appeal to their heads rationally. Why do we think we can be successful? And, and, and it was, you know, the market was there. The customers wanted us to win. There was all these reasons why we could build great technology, build great products for customers. Then the heart is very easy to connect because, you know, if you've been here 20 years um, or you've just been here two weeks, everybody wants to go to work and have a ball. Everybody wants to work and look around the table and respect colleagues. Everybody wants to go work and maybe on a Friday afternoon go for a beer with colleagues. So, you know, there's so many reasons to say, yeah, head, does this make sense? Tick in the box, three by three, can we do it? Yes. Emotionally, we did loads of things actually at that company at Sage where we built a foundation to connect the community, do the right thing, help, you know, scout cubs, help with uh, vulnerable people, elderly people, um, all these initiatives that really uh, the employees took on and did a brilliant job of. So that connected the hearts, like this matters, this makes sense, this is really a well-being plan for your family, paying the mortgage, but also loving the company you work for, loving the colleagues, building something very special. And then, you know, head, heart, hands. And then they, they did a brilliant job. It's all a credit to them. So that was probably, again, professionally a huge uh, accomplishment. And it's, it's, as a leader, you'll know this, Khadija, it's the most satisfying thing in the world when people achieve things they never thought were possible. So true. They did it all themselves. I got, I got emotional then even when, because I guess when you were talking about visualizing, I'm quite a visual person, I think. And when you were telling me about, you know, on the atrium and coming down with the, I was visualizing that happening and the pride that I would feel if it were me with everything there. So like, round of applause to everything that you've achieved, honestly, and to be so open and thank you for being so open. It's going to help so many people. I apologize for the creepy hand that started stroking my hair. That was Soraya my eldest, she just came in. I don't know why she struck my hair and she left. Um, so <laughs> just sharing her love for her mum. Yeah. Lovely. That's right. um, love. I think you kind of answered this already and you've given us some amazing advice, but if you could go back to the beginning of your journey and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Well, 
definitely um, the piece of advice is always do what you love, be true to yourself and live your dreams. Now, if you don't know what you love, then test drive lots of different things till you find out what you love. And even just break it down. Do I like working indoors? Do I want to work outdoors? Do I like working in an office? Do I work like working in teams or on a, am I an individual contributor? Just ask yourself lots of questions because then the light bulbs will start going on. Uh, for me, the advice I give myself based on that is probably say no more and reflect more before, you know, I'm probably quite impulsive sometimes. Uh, and uh, points in my career, if someone's given me a tap on the shoulder and say, Stephen, we'd love you to do this big job or something, normally I've said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I, and, and sometimes I think, uh, and I think actually today I'm a very different person in that respect. I'd pause, I'd say, really flattered to be asked, and I'll think about it and come back and then just go away and, and prioritise what's really important around the family, uh, the responsibilities I feel and and the career and and, and come up with a sort of balanced uh, view of what's what's best. So the message to me would be um, just say no more. Yeah. Say I no more that. in a nice way. You can say no very politely. Yeah, I have started becoming more like that. I used to, especially off the back of The Apprentice, I got asked to do a lot of speaking gigs, um, obviously for free, and they were far, you know, like really far. And the first, you know, at first it was flattering. People were asking me, oh, wow, you know, it's your ego, I think. You're kind of a big deal now and people want you. And plus, you want to go and share your knowledge and help people, etc. But it started getting to the point, you know, where I couldn't put the kids to bed. No one was paying for the fuel. I was spending hours driving and then driving back and you get to the point where you're like hold on a minute this just is not working and I'm sorry I, I you know I select at the beginning of the year my chosen three charities and if I get approached for any more I'm sorry I've chosen my three for this year next year maybe that could be in the pipeline then um, you know you do need to set your boundaries because like you I was always yes 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 any opportunity yes but I've just started to reevaluate what do, what's important and and also I think working smart and not necessarily hard that the reason that I became an entrepreneur in the first place was to be able to spend more time with the kids and be my own boss and so when I started realizing that I was getting up early going to bed really late being out all day not seeing the kids this wasn't the why or the reason that I got into this in the first place so I need to reevaluate what it exactly it is that I want yeah that's so true and I think there's something about you Khadija if, you know if you got asked by a school down in Newham or Peckham um to come and talk to them I know that you'd yeah inspire those kids you'd blow their minds you'd you'd be yeah. such an amazing role model and your heart just naturally connects to that but you just can't, you can't, you, you've got to give to yourself and be kind to yourself before you can give. So I think just having a better structure, it sounds like great stuff you're doing about free charities and um, just looking after yourself and putting those boundaries in place. Really important. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. So if you hadn't have been as successful as you have been, what do you think would have been your chosen career path? So obviously, I guess, like any young boy, I, I, well, most young boys, some maybe not, I would have loved to have been a, a footballer and play for my team, but I, I was pretty hopeless at football too. So that wasn't going to Who do you support? Oh, I, I always supported, and mainly because my big brother, who I loved to bits, um, supported them. Uh, it was Chelsea. 
Oh, nice. But, but I, you know, I, I supported Chelsea. I've supported Chelsea for 50 years. Can you believe that? And we went down to the second division. Uh, you got relegated. And we, my brother and I, I can't believe our parents used to let us sometimes to go up and see them. So um, fabulous. Uh, yeah, I love, and actually I quite often take the girls to go and see um, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. So, and occasionally to away games as well. So we love it, absolutely love it. But that, that wasn't reality because I wasn't very good. Um, and actually what I probably would have done, a couple of mates became postmen. And um, a brother um, at Christmas had a, a round, he, he worked for the post office uh, just to earn money when we were kids. And um, I used to go and help him out. Um, and I actually love that because it's quite nice because you, you're in a world of it. It would be great to be a postie and you can have your headphones on, listen to your favorite music, chat to people, days like today's, you know. Uh, it's a very simple thing to say, but it's just, you know, it, it would be, a, I think, very satisfying when I look at the posters, always I chat with our postie and stuff, and they seem to have quite an idyllic sort of um, outdoor uh, job and they, they seem pretty happy and always just I, I have very rarely met an unhappy postman I love post that. so I love simple simple want, life you would have wanted to live a post to our house because our dog is like a werewolf and uh, the barks would scare you every time you'd be jumping out of your skin when you went back to the car so maybe you've yeah. It's probably it's, it's probably tougher now because you have all these massive parcels from you know DPDs and Amazon Prime and all that sort of Back stuff. But eight. you're right. I, I would be even when I did paper rounds, I was always fearful of the, the dogs, and we always uh, were anxious. And some there was one particular house where this dog came rearing up to the gate, and literally we 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 couldn't get running out because so we try it on a good day. We'd try and open the gate, run to the front door, get the paper through and leg it out. Sometimes if the dog turned up first, we'd just literally throw the paper like 20 <laughs> yards to the front door and leg it. I had a paper round too, worse than dogs. I used to catch my fingers on the snappy letterboxes. Some of them are so quick, you catch your fingers and that's it. You're in agony for the rest of the day. Did that, yeah. See? Was that on a paper round? No, it wasn't. That was, not, that was trying to do some repairs on a window. And the, I pulled it down and cool. Oh, for those but you're right. But doing that, I yeah. can get it from letterboxes. Is yeah. um, I'm just telling the audience that aren't watching that are listening. Stephen, that Stephen's nail that is very bruised from a window. It wasn't from a paper round. He's not done that for a while. I've done that for a while. <laughs> um, what is the best compliment you have ever received? Um, actually, professionally, it's um, it's. From people who are just saying, yeah, I've learned more. Also, just amazing. I, I met this woman who, uh, her, ba her, her child is probably 22 now. She worked for me years and years ago. And we we're just talking about, you know, what her options were. And I, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty archaic in terms of childcare, parenting, and all those sort of discussions. And it, was, it wasn't as it as it is now. And I hope actually from this Corona working from home, it will completely rebalance in the, the care and relationships and the parenting um, options, because I think now it's a no brainer. Everybody can work at home and I'd encourage companies to think about fully flexible working. So that, that allows us to break through sort of the gender 
um, ultimately sort of subconscious bias about the workplace. But um, she told me that we had a really good chat and that allowed her to feel very confident go and she had a baby then she came back to work and I, I just said it was just common sense really because she thought she had to come back five days a week and I said no you come back you'll come back a morning a week come back what you, you and I you can't before you had a baby you can't predict how you're going to feel in six nine twelve eighteen months time I said you're an amazing amazing contributor to the team there'll always be a job for you here um, you can have that security and just come back to us when you're ready and at a pace where you feel comfortable um, and make sure you balance your priorities. Uh, and she did come back initially one day a week and then kind of ran back to three days and then five days. And she was probably one of the best people who ever worked for me. She's just an amazing contributor to the team. So it's, it's just those, and I, I'll be honest, when she told me this, um, I'd completely forgotten about it. And it's, it's those little things that uh, invariably, you know, I've probably had tens of thousands of people work for me. You, you really try to do the right thing every day as a leader. You always try and support your people. Uh, occasionally, you know, you, you sprinkle a bit of magic dust. But I'm sure the, the other thing actually that's sad, Khadija, is, and, and this has happened in typically the bigger companies I've worked for, people sort of use you or they use your name uh, sometimes in vain. So I got loads, you know, when I was at Sage where Stephen said, uh, and, and it, it wouldn't have been what I believed in at all. So either, uh, you know, people, I don't know whether they're playing politics or they're trying to do the right thing, but uh, that's why I've always been a big fan of just being, you know, very authentic, talking to all the people myself, making myself available. Um, and I think, you know, those, if, 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 the one thing you give to people is to allow them to exceed their potential and to be happy with who they are and comfortable with their own skin, then that, that I, I think, that, you know, that's very satisfying to me. I need to have a global company and then get you in to come and run it with me because every single value you have. What, what's your thoughts on, this is totally off, um, on Richard Branson because... A lot of the things that he shares, and I follow him on LinkedIn, are about looking after your employees, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always really been inspired by Richard Branson. And a lot of what you're saying is very on, on, you know, on par with a lot of the values. So is that, has he been someone that you've you know, looked to for inspiration or not really? Yeah, and when I sort of grew up, there was very few inspirational business leaders, whereas I think there's lots, you know, you, Khadija, and you have a compatriot of lots of people out there who actually are quite inspirational, particularly on social media. Um, but when I kind of grew up, yes, um, Branson was, you know, one of the poster children. Um, and I was very fortunate. I actually, in front of those 15,000 people in Chicago at a big conference, I did a fireside chat with Richard um, and I, you know, he had a whole um, set of people that kind of uh, brought him along and we sat in uh, a caravan out backstage and chatted about loads of stuff beforehand. And he, he again, very hugely, uh, just what strikes me about amazing leaders is actually their humility and their authenticity. And I, I was just struck because yeah, he's quite quite an introvert 
and he's you know obviously talked about his, his stamina and um, some of his anxieties in the past. So I, I think that vulnerability for all of us as leaders, it's nice actually, it's authentic to share your vulnerabilities. Uh, and I you know I have found him in, in terms of the culture he's built uh, at the Virgin Brand. You know the things that he's been exceptional about is is one is building great cultures. And the other is, and you mentioned the word branded, is it, the marketing uh, generally, generally has been, you know, just top quality. Um, so, yeah, no, he's, he's one of the, and, and also I think he's done a lot in terms of charities, giving back, sort of making a difference. So the whole essence of compassionate capitalism. Um, you know, recently, obviously, the airline industry is pretty badly affected by obviously no flying. Um, so he, he might have struggled in terms of how how he manages through this crisis, and also I think he's suffered in terms of the sort of PR. But generally, yeah, I was hugely impressed with him. We had a brilliant uh, fireside chat together. Uh, he was very inspirational, very down to earth, and yeah, very very um, yeah. Very, and I've I've actually uh, he's got a film app near Oxford years and years ago. I went to a party there. And again, I just thought, well, what a super guy. Oh, one thing he did, he used to have a, a party for everybody who worked for him on his estate. And it was just amazing. Like a weekend, you could go and camp there and there was fun fairs, bands. It was just like a, a festival. It was just wow. amazing. But, but the thing that blew me away is and then they, they, you parked up in loads of fields and then they took you uh, coaches to his estate. And when you got out your coach, he shook hands with every mum, dad, son, daughter, everybody who attended his party. He was there. He must have been there, I don't know, two hours just saying hello and welcome and I hope you have a great day. And that, those, those little touches just are, you know, people remember that. That must be 20 years ago. And, and, and everybody who worked for him said, yeah, you know, I, I met Richard uh, and Richard, Richard cares and Richard cares about me and Richard knows who I am. Yeah, because you meet a lot of different types of entrepreneurs. There's the, the hungry, eager, uh, egotistical, uh, only care about lying in their pockets, treat their staff like rubbish types, which uh, I've come across quite a few. And then you get the kind, compassionate. Actually, I say there's three tiers. There's the, there's those that are you know money hungry, don't care, not very high moral composite. Unfortunately, they still they are still in the world. Then you have uh, the middle where it's people I would say like you and I, like Richard, you know, we want a profitable, successful business equally. We want to look after people. And then you have almost uh, the naive of the business that every, and, and this was me in my cleaning business, wanted to be everybody's friend, but to a fault. And now some of the tips that I give people are be friendly, but don't be people's friends when it comes to your employees and your staff, because unfortunately and i'm sorry for the for the language but you get piss takers you get great employees and you get people that take the piss and yeah. what i had especially in an industry like cleaning where a lot of people didn't want to be there uh, they would just come in you know if people taking the mick mugging me off taking my kindness for a weakness and just you know not not doing the job that they were asked to do or disappearing in my fleet vehicle to go to tesco's and get a meal deal and then telling me they can't fit in the last job so in my opinion there's almost those three levels and what i would always want to aim towards is to be the middle i want to look after people at the same time i need a successful business 
business otherwise yeah. what's the point in the sacrifice of being away from my children if I'm doing it for a company that's you know making huge losses I would never want to be egotistical that all I care about is money 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 and not about the people and you can't be too far the other way if you're too friendly and too over the top and give up too much of your time you get walking walked all over um do you agree is that you know yeah I do if, if you start start a cleaning business again, I might come and work for you because um, in lockdown, I tell you what, I polished the bathrooms. I I put a lot of elbow grease, spit and, spit and polish into these. Uh, and th- this morning I was on the rotor for the hoovering, so, you know, it looks pucker. Look, well, and I can't believe it. I tell you what, I can't. Khadija, this is a very, you know, this is a first world problem. I cannot believe how much dust you get in a hoover just from carpet a couple of carpets that look relatively clean the the compartment in the hoover was full up it's just unbelievable anyway um but i i think you know what you're sort of talking about is and i, I talk about this a lot purpose with profit so you you the you know you want a uh, a business can be a beacon of light in a community and it can create well-being and financial stability for your employees uh, obviously, you build great, great products and services for your customers, uh, your supplies you look after. I think you, you, you want to have, you, you know, it's not a popularity contest, but you want to be loved by your employees. You want to be even respected by your competitors. You want to be cherished by your customers and valued. Uh, and if you're doing that, I, I sort of explain business really simple. It's almost like two sides of the perfect coin. If you look after your people really, really well, and they love working for you and they give them very clear direction of what success looks like and they deliver that value and that energy and that passion to customers, then almost like it's a virtuous circle, a flywheel where customers will recommend you. They'll post great stuff on social media. You know, you'll be, you'll be, a, you'll be, have a loads of these raving fans as customers. And then your, uh, your employees feel good about that. And it's just, it's like that revolving flywheel where you're constantly driving yourself to improve prove but you actually look after your people you look after your customers with integrity uh and authenticity and you you do the right thing and by doing that i think the reality is you then get a lot of respect from all the various stakeholders and i I kind of agree with you just to try and make money for the purpose of making money doesn't really make sense to me And, and actually making money is doing the fruits of all the labor in terms of building great products for customers, service them, doing great cleaning jobs, whatever the business is, looking after your people, making, it's a great recommendation when people want to work for your business and they want to recommend your friends to come and interview. Um, So so it really is a virtuous circle and and, and leaders that are very cognizant of that, they're not in it for a popularity contest, but they're doing the right thing and they're building the business the right way. Mm, yeah I love that my mistake was because I was very naive I came out at the ombudsman 24 years old a young child and it all scaled very quickly I did a really good job and then recommendation scaled quickly and by the time I went on to the apprentice I was at 37 employees my problem was I think more financials I didn't understand I thought I needed all these fleet vehicles 
I thought I needed a really nice office. I thought I needed all of these things that actually, that was just for my ego. That wasn't what I needed to run a business. And had I not have thought that I needed all of these extra things, I would have paid myself a healthy wage. It got to the point where the money was coming in and I was paying everybody else and I didn't have any shareholders. It was just me over three and a half years from 20 pounds to six figures. Still proud of myself because I had two children in that time. But I've reflected a lot. You know, there were a lot of things that I did that I shouldn't have done, uh, being too friendly, inviting them to my house regularly, looking after employees' kids, all lovely to do. But then when they call you up and they're the only one in on that day and you know they went out the night before because you saw it on their Instagram story and then they try to give you some BS about it's this, it's that. Remember you came to my house? Remember you saw that happen? Da, da, da. And so it went too far. So when I mentor people now, and I'm so grateful for everything that happened, even though it was hard and Simon had to give me money my partner to cover payroll on months and we would argue and our relationship break down, broke down and we built it back up all of that happened but I'm so grateful for it because if I didn't go through all that I wouldn't understand what I did wrong I would have if I if I started the cleaner business all over again which a couple of people have said to me I should do if I did do that there's so many things that I wouldn't do and so many things that I would do so going back to what we said at the beginning you you know it's all a journey and there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be times that you really f up but you take that as a learning opportunity to improve yeah totally agree you know uh, even now every week I make mistakes yeah but but you reflect and you learn from them and I think your cleaning business experience you know you, you probably you grew like crazy um and then you need obviously cash to fuel the business yeah, and I yeah. think your judgment I, I I actually used to get criticized because I never had flash offices for our colleagues and I, I know also big statements I when when I went to Sage you know there was all these executive floors and stuff like that and I said I'm not going to have an office I'll sit out with the team Love you know, that. I don't want an office and so so all this because I wanted to invest in the product and customers and hiring the best people and I said you know flashy glass offices you know mean nothing in why don't we spend the money and invest that money and little words actually language is very important so I said we should ban the word spend because spend implies waste whereas we say invest the money in our people and product and not in offices invest implies return so little, little things matter and language matters to build a great culture and I think the, the power is Khadija is when the, almost the magic happens when you're not in the room uh, and people do the right thing in every instance. And that's how you build the culture. Yeah. And that comes with training and, and loads I of love, communication. I love that you said that. When I was at the Ombudsman, they, they had five core values and they were do the right thing, uh, do, or do as you say you will do, do the right thing. Um, and I implemented them in my cleaning business. Honesty is the best policy. And, and little examples of, you know, um, if you've broken something at a customer's house or glass or something, I don't want you to be scared. Please insurance, let us know. Yeah. Little things. And so everything that I did in terms of that, the business side, I learned a lot from the ombudsman. And so every training course, the ombudsman chucked at me, I sat it and you, you know what you said again, it's about you. It's about you putting that time into yourself to make sure that you grow. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, we're on the same page. Like, let's start a cleaner business. We might as well. Let's so, do it. A little thing. I know it was a big company. We had 3 million customers. But um, 
no one when I when I went to Sage, uh, I got like top two hundred managers together. And we had a big meeting, and one of the questions I asked them is, "Who's met a customer in the last week?" And I just said, "Put your hands up if you have." And I was kind of expecting maybe forty percent, um, and no one did. And then I said, "Well, what about two weeks? What about a month?" And it got to about well, who's met a customer in the last three months, and I don't know, maybe a, a handful of hands went up. And I said, we've got a really big problem because we're not spending our time on the right things. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a statement saying probably for the first year, I'll spend 30% of my time as chief executive out with customers because they tell us just magic stuff about what's wrong with the product, what's wrong with the distribution, what, what's difficult to deal with. And they give us just gold dust in terms of feedback. And I expect everybody, you know, whether you work in finance, work in uh, people in HR, you've got to understand the people we're serving. Uh, ultimately, the customers, the people who are paying our wages uh, to, to really bring to life. You know, and I used to use these phrases like every meeting we have, keep an empty chair for the customer and ask, what, what is the customer? So when I went round, um, and it's quite two things I'll tell you. Um, I went round and saw loads of customers, met them, and I did these fireside chats. And, and the early ones, honestly, were brutal because most of them were thinking of leaving our technology and going to someone else, a competitor. Um, but I just said, well, I just need a bit of time. I hear what you say. I can't wave a magic wand. And they stuck with us. And then we you know, started growing market share again when we launched loads of new products and did, 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 uh, fixed the things that were just you know, pissing customers off really, just silly little things. And a lot of it was just common sense. It wasn't, it wasn't rocket science. The other thing I did, which was amazing, and I used this to f firstly to do the right thing, but also create a bit of mythology. So I said to customers, you know, here's my cell phone number, here's all my social media. Um, most of the time, particularly weekends, I handle it all myself. Um, I want to be very approachable. So if, 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 you know, in your business, if, if you're struggling to payroll's not working or you're closing your accounts or you're filing your tax returns and you hit a problem, you know, you can call me. Obviously, I want you to work through customer services and, and the right channels. But if you've tried everything humanly possible and it's still not working, pick up the phone. And I remember um, I was driving back from uh, the coast on a Sunday and I got this guy uh, who's an accountant up in North London call me and it went through to my voice because I'm driving. Literally, I pulled over and I got his number and I called him. It was like nine o'clock on a Sunday evening. And I said, oh, Stephen Kelly, I, I got your message. You know, what's the problem? Um, and he said, no, it's not. It can't be Stephen Kelly. Mm. I, yeah, it's me. I just, I've been down with the family at uh, the beach and I'm just driving back to London. Uh, and anyway, he told me his problem. Uh, and, and then I use that in the all hands meetings and talk about, you know, cause we want to make every one of these amazing customers sleep well at night and know that they can trust us and build that bond of trust uh, and loyalty really. Um, and, and those little things, the other thing we did, which was I think important actually, is if it was a really significant customer, or whatever the customer was, if they call me and we fix their problem, the good news is 99% of times we fix their issue. Mm. 
And we never lost a customer when they actually spoke to me and I had a great team. I had a code red team when anything kind of customer problems, customer fire burning, we want to know about it. We want to put that fire out. That was a kind of ethos. So we created a code red team. And um, when we put these fires out and we got the customers whole and got their systems working again, then typically we'll either send them chocolates or flowers just to say thank you for sticking with us um, and, and being patient with us uh, as their partner. Uh, and, you know, honestly, when you do that, actually, ironically, I wouldn't advocate this for your, your kind of listeners, but when you, every company screws up, you know, this is life. Every company gets it wrong, especially consumer companies. You, you know, um, they make mistakes or their employees make mistakes or they drop the ball or whatever. So just, you know, fess up. The right thing to do is make the customer whole immediately, uh, put it right, but also then just to send a gift of gratitude. And it could be a card or it could even be an email or it could be a, a message just saying, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for your patience. I think we fixed the problems now and we really value your, your business because when you do that, then you've got a raving fan for life. And I think the data is that um, every customer who's delighted will tell probably three people of their great experience, but every customer who's had a problem that doesn't get fixed tells 10 people. Yeah. So, and with Twitter now, you've got to be very careful. Facebook reviews, you know, you do one thing, you don't have enough, your reputation. I remember the first time I got a one star review, I'd gone two and a half years, five out of five stars on Facebook. And then a woman came for an interview. We used to do like, uh, uh, like a taster session. She'd go out for a few hours, see if it was her thing. We'd see if she got on well with the team and that was it. And uh, she came in. She didn't, basically she didn't gel. And so I had to let her know that, you know, unfortunately we couldn't take her on. And she got bitter about it and put a review on the Facebook page, which wasn't even a reflection of the kid cleaning service. It was a, like, you know, back office thing. And uh, I cried. I cried for two days because I was so heartbroken that I'd put my all into this business for two years. Had all, But it was very... Um, it was like a hit of reality. Like until that point, I'd been award winning locally, you know, and staff loved everything. People were recommending their friends, customers, etc. It was great. And then it was like, doof, you're no longer five out of five stars. Um, but you're so right. You know, you really need to look after your customers and make sure I, for about 18 months, nearly two years, I used to do every single this was a really bad business decision. I would never advise it. But I used to go to every single meet and greet at someone's house for a clean. So even if they wanted two hours a fortnight, there was little old me in my car, you know, usually in the evening, get the kids in the bath, pajamas, Simon would put them to bed and I'm out. And I'd be there for about an hour because you were chatting and I'm trying to be nice and sell myself. And then most of the time, I'd say about 90% of the time they'd sign up if it were me. 10% of the time they didn't. Then I'd be annoyed that I've given up my time. And then I got to the point where the business got so busy that I thought, oh my God, what a stupid idea to go to every single house, <laughs> giving up all my weekends, all my evenings to go and do this. And then we started doing things online, you know, a little online calculator. Yeah. But I would still, you know, my mobile number, if there was a problem, it was always me being customer service because that is important. And that's what people don't remember. They're quick to take people's money, but it's about the customer journey. That's what's important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that empathy. Uh, you know, I think as you scale your business, obviously you need to trust 
the next generation of the employees to actually give us something in experience to the customer, which is exceptional. And, and truthfully, it's quite often the case, the leader and the founder does it better than anybody else, but you've just got to let go. You've got to let go. And, and you've got to accept that, you know, people will make mistakes and, and have a culture where you fail fast and recover quickly. Um, and, and I think the other thing you, you do also as you sign a scale, you let go, but, but it's nice to keep just occasionally that you personally do it. So maybe you do one call a month and, but then you, you tell the story to all your employees, you know, when you do your hands meeting, you tell them that you personally, cause then they say, um, you know, Stephen really cares. Or yeah. Khadija, she really cares. Well and clean. Customers, she loves customers. She yeah. bleeds customers. You know when. So, so why is it important to make every customer whole, and make sure we're doing a fantastic cleaning job, um, and make the customers really proud and look at their office and think, "Wow, yeah. this is amazing." Yeah. Uh, the best cleaning job I've ever done is is because of that. Because from the top, Khadija really cares about this, and and she's very authentic, very honest, and very straightforward. And we want to do a great job for her. I mean, I pitched this to Linda Plant, and I told her I was about to take over the world in the cleaning industry. And then I got off the show, and I was a bit overwhelmed by everything. So the last year has been kind of invested in my personal brand. But every, when we talk like this, I'm like, do you know what? I could still do it. I could still get those tenders, those commercial projects. I remember standing, Claude Littner asking me on The Apprentice. We were in this huge building in London, and I was sitting there saying, I could get the cleaning contract for this. No, you can't. No, you can't, Khadija. You know, for TV. No, you can't. You're a pipe dreamer. Is it? No, trust me, I will. And still, if I, I don't really watch the clips back much, but my eldest, she likes to watch them. Um, but still, I think to myself, okay, you've had a year now, Khadija. You've built your personal brand. It's time to go and prove Claude Littner wrong and go and get that tender for that building. I will do it one day. I will do it. You know, because I was so passionate about it, and I love interior. Like I just wallpapered the wall. Yeah. And I love keeping the house clean and all of that stuff. I mean, watch this space, Stephen. I might be hitting you up to get some of your advice. Let's do it again. No worries. Yeah, uh, we're with you. Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? You can always put the band back together and do another world tour. Yeah, and do it better. Yeah, world tour. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay, so final question, then we'll play the yes-no game. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, or oh, a bit morbid, but uh, Zoe helped me with these questions by PA, who would they be and why? So, um, probably, it's a really tough one, actually. Great question. So, you'd have to, uh, I'm, I'm not religious, but you'd probably have to get Jesus Christ along. Yeah. Or one of the great religious, or Buddha. Yeah. And yeah. just... That would be amazing to have. So one spot, say, for, for you know, a, a, a amazing, inspirational prophet or leader. Um, uh, just to say, you know, what was it really like? Did you really believe it all? And yeah, yeah, did you expect yeah. all these millions of people all around the world to follow you, you know? Yeah. And uh, this is a fascinating. And I guess you could ask them, is there really an afterlife? Come on, you know. Tell the truth. Yeah. yeah. Tell the truth. Just tell the tell us because. <laughs> you know, is it is it all worthwhile? Is there a greater greater meaning to life, or do we just carry on and uh, end up as dust? So yeah. that'd be one. Then um, probably Emily Pankhurst, oh. or one of the suffragettes, one of the amazing suffragettes. Who you know, it's a hundred years ago. It's just scary to think. You know, I think the the vote came after the First World War, 
for women. Um, but, but the, the sacrifice made from them and the amazing leadership in terms of equality, just the first, and I, I think a hundred years later, we still got so far to go. There's so much subconscious bias and then other countries of the world, you know, are still in the dark ages. So we've got so much more to go there in terms of true equality. Uh, but that would be fascinating again, just to uh, see, did they ever have a vision of what, what a fantastic society would look like? And then probably Martin Luther King as well. Oh, yeah. um, have to get him along and have a seat for him. One of the most inspirational speakers of all time, but obviously he kind of wore his heart on his, uh, on his sleeves and um, his soul. And again, what he did uh, around the black civil rights movement, uh, and even, you know, I love America, I love Americans, but there's still so much prejudice, a race prejudice, and, you know, it, it just breaks my heart. And that's, what, 50 years ago since he did all that back in the 60s. Um, but, yeah, he'd have to come along. And, again, I'd love to ask him, you know, if he could see the future and what it would look like. And I guess uh, people around the table who really have a sense of, the right thing, a strong moral compass, a North Star, a world of equality, a world of opportunity for all, a world where everybody can share prosperity. You know, I think it's, uh, what, 7 billion people live on the planet. I think it's like something like 800 million people live in poverty. So we've got a long, long, long way to go. And obviously, sadly, poverty is, is typically exacerbated by race, sexuality, gender, and all these um, discriminations that are either explicit or, or embedded in the subconscious. Thank you. Do you know what? I'm a woman and a mum who's like working her backside off to, to prove myself. Equally, I'm mixed race. So my dad is Moroccan, um, looks Jamaican, dark, you know, and my mum is white, British, English. So everything that you've just said there. And, and I love how you said Jesus or Muhammad loved that, you know, it was Eid, Ramadan. It, I was having this conversation with uh, my mother-in-law, Simon's English, white British. So, you know, the last eight years for him have been a real cultural wake up. He grew up in a village where it was all people like him. And, um, and now his brother's with a, a woman who's half Indian. And I, I laugh and joke and say, we brought culture into your family, <laughs> you know, now it's a bit more mixed up. But I love everything that you said. When I go into schools, actually, I use a Martin Luther King quote and an Oprah Winfrey one. Oprah Winfrey's is along the lines of, let excellence be your brand. Even when nobody's watching, if you do the right thing, oh, something along those lines. But make sure you're always doing the right thing. And the Martin Luther King one is, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you need to keep moving forward. And that, when I say it in the schools, it's kind of my round off at the end to inspire them to, to kind of take over the world. And I love that you said Martin Luther King because that's how I finish off every single talk is with that phrase. So thank you for that. Yeah, he, he's also another one you can use, which strikes me as uh, the entrepreneur's dream, really. And everybody's got a business idea. Um, so his phrase, if you, want a giant, if you want to climb a giant staircase, then the best thing you can do is take the first step. Oh, love it. Right, that's getting added. Sorry, stolen. Imagine oh, go for it. Yeah. Just it's so true, isn't it? Just start. Just start. Yeah. But, yeah. 
how many of us have had dreams of starting a business and five years later we're still having the same dreams? Yeah. Just take the step. If, if it's what you want to do, it's what you, follow your dreams and make it happen. Yeah, take one of my um, good friends and mentor, Rob Moore, actually he has a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Um, I was thinking, you're so amazing. I might have to tell him to reach out to you if that's all right because he, you'd be the perfect guest. Um, and yeah, he says, he's got a phrase, uh, start now, get perfect later. And I love that, you know. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And it's yeah. so true. If you don't take a small risk, you could spend the rest of your life just living comfortably or safely. And, you know, I'm not, the thing I don't like is when you see entrepreneurs go into schools and they say things, and I've seen it happen, you don't need education, I have no education and I'm fine. Hate that. Yes, yes, of some form, you need an education. Um, and also, just risk it. Just risk it. Go for it. So, no, no, don't. Because if you don't have a house, you can't feed your kids. It's, it wasn't really worth the risk. So a calculated risk. Um, but yeah, phrases like that, they inspire and encourage people. It just needs to be balanced, you know? Don't yeah. go too far the other way where you're like remortgaging your house and then you've risked yeah. it all on a business that failed. And Because people do go too far. Yeah, no, and I think Khadija, common sense and keeping that balance and that good equilibrium um, is important. And, you know, if you've got kids out there, you're right. Uh, I think Mandela said, isn't it, education is the way out of poverty, really. Um, and he's, you know, so right. And I think um, you, you just want to do the best with every chapter of the book that you're writing in terms of your life history. Yeah. Are you going to write a book? You should. No, I do a lot of blogs and I've done loads of blogs for entrepreneurs to kind of survive and thrive through this crisis. And I've done loads of webinars talking about, you know, how to have a cash runway, you know, cash flow, all that sort of stuff, how to look after customers. So very practical advice. Um, I might do, but I don't, I, I just, it's funny, Khadija, I don't never think of myself as very interesting. No. So I, you know, just a normal working boy so um but i've you know i really enjoyed talking to you so go for the quick fire yeah Love this. Some quick fire and by the way just to give you some uh reassurance this is the longest episode i've had in the best possible way because it's been me we keep asking more and more questions and i'm sorry because i didn't tell you no it's so engaging no but you're fine so good so in in response to you saying you're not very interested trust me you really really are and also you know this isn't just about entrepreneurs i have a lot of friends that are in successful jobs or in you know high level high pressure jobs so i love the fact that i'm interviewing someone as well that's worked for corporations and managed within not necessarily just built built the business yeah. up it's great to have varied one last thing before we do yes no what are you up to right now um and for those people listening that would like to get in touch with you uh, what kind of services are you offering yeah so um easy to get in touch with me just um the basically handle on twitter linkedin facebook and instagram is at s kelly ceo so at s kelly ceo uh, very easy and I'm, I pretty much handle all my social media myself so you'll get me coming back to you um, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm board director on three companies I've been an angel investor probably in about a dozen companies so that means I mentor most of those chief executives and also additionally I mentor some um, companies I'm not involved in of women CEOs 
Um, and I do actually, I do the, so, so on the board director jobs and the investment, obviously, you know, that's a financial, uh, relationship, but on the, um, mentoring women CEOs, that's pro bono. And then I do philanthropic stuff around going to speak at schools and stuff like that, which again, I just love doing. So, you know, I love kids. I love the next generation. I love, I just, yeah. That, and if we can give back and allow them to learn something from the scars on my back, then uh and the lessons i've learned then that's that's all goodness well if you ever fancy some babysitting duties i have two wonderful handfuls i'll send you away i love it no I love, and yeah no i'm very lucky to have three amazing girls so three oh. amazing. well thank you so much for giving up your time we'll play the yes no game have you ever played this before um not without drinking Oh, that was good. You didn't say yes or no. You see, you're very... You're... <laughs> go for it. Yeah, okay. Do you want, do you want to take a breath or drink? No, go, go for it, go for it. No. Go for it. Okay, fine. Um, by the way, these are a couple of rules. You can't say yes, you can't say no. If you hesitate for too long, it's a eh-eh, you're out. And uh, if you're really good, I will speak faster to try and catch you out. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Yes, Yes, that's the only time I say yes. Okay, last time. Can you play an instrument? I like the piano. Have you ever seen a ghost? Um, only when I see myself in the morning. <laughs> Do you like pineapple? Uh, I prefer blueberries. Can you ride a bicycle? Um, I would love to have been in a circus. Are you a good dancer? Oh, wow. Dreams of being on Strictly, but two left feet. Do you have a pet? Oh, we had an amazing little dog called Lola, who is sadly no with us, uh, but she was so cute. Do you enjoy, uh, did you enjoy school? Um, I was a bit cheeky at school. Not the best. Are you a morning person? I love mornings. Wake up with a spring in my step and... Just huge optimism and happiness. You do well. Do you sing in the shower? Um, love a bit of from Taylor Swift, <laughs> the Frankie Valley. Um, anything is always good in the shower. Do you like cornflakes? Um, I prefer granola. Have you ever run a red light? Um, certainly my driving skills are not what they used to be. And I'm sure that I've done um, lots of things which would be considered an offence. <laughs> would you do a bungee jump? Um, I'm not great with heights. Do you like scary movies? I would never, ever want to see a horror movie. <laughs> Are you afraid of the dark? Um, I, I quite like dark in the evenings i love moonlight love looking up at the stars love yeah peaceful time final question and it's a very important one is a jaffa cake a biscuit it's absolutely a delight and enjoy and and it was always my my brother's favorite treat so fond memories of those <laughs> jaffa cakes growing up well done you know Thanks, we've had more than most people Zoe Zoe manages the yes no questions and uh, she gave you a lot and that was intense but you know you're successful it's easy water off a duck's back for you 
No, I loved it. Loved it. I really enjoyed the chat, Khadija, as well. I think, and also what you're doing uh, is inspirational. And I think um, it's just such a you're just such a positive role model for people out there. You know, you've probably got loads of followers who are in their teens and all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, all different ages. And I, I just think you know the, the the beacon of light. You're carrying a flame for them, and. And what you're bringing into their lives is a great sense of common sense, but also, you know, great honesty, uh, a great belief that they can they can achieve huge things in their adventures ahead. Uh, but also, sort of keep their feet on the ground and just just acknowledge that, that there's trade offs and priorities, and sometimes it's good to say no. And uh, also, I think it really what's incredibly authentic is when you talk about the things that haven't gone so well yeah. the, the mistakes we've both made because we you know continue to make mistakes we all try to do the best thing we can yeah but sometimes we're not always the smartest as we'd love to be so uh we make make mistakes on the journey and learning from this is a, a real skill well, and I if you can pass it on to the next generation that's an even greater skill well thank you so much but i could not create this podcast without great guests like yourself giving up your time um for me during this time as well thank you for being so inspirational and for everything you've done too and you know huge congratulations what an epic cv i can only hope that i get to work with amazing people like you have and also i'd love to quick fire richard branson like you did maybe with the yes no game so we'll see maybe we'll have a little holiday or something to necker island but thank you so much yeah thank you so much love to you your partner and your children and take care and we'll stay in touch yeah love to Tali and Soraya and I hope they haven't eaten all those uh, candies and sweets oh yeah my brother better be on the watch thank you so much great, great to see you take bye. care bye there have a great day bye